Almighty God and Father, you have promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So how many people here are familiar with the name Ambrose Burnside? I thought Teresa would. You're a Civil War buff, aren't you? You are. Yeah, I, I am too, sort of. Yeah, uh, Ambrose Burnside was a Civil War general, uh, later governor of Rhode Island, and after that, a senator from Rhode Island. Uh, but he's really most famous for popularizing sideburns. And we get the name sideburns from his last name, Burnside. Uh, he didn't invent sideburns, by the way. Uh, they were around long before Ambrose, but since photography was in its infancy in his day and age, uh, his picture was, and he was well known as a senator, as a governor, and a Civil War general, uh, he popularized it because people knew him, they saw his image, and men started to grow sideburns. It became popular, it became a thing. He was a trendsetter. You may have heard of Coco Chanel, she was one of the most influential fashion designers of the last century. Now, Coco Chanel did not invent women's pants. They had already entered wardrobes during World War I when many women went to work in factories because the men were off in Europe fighting. But Coco Chanel popularized women's pants in the 1920s and uh, made them a, a popular fashion garment, and it's been that way really ever since. Michael Jordan was not only a great athlete, but back in the 1980s, Michael Jordan became an ambassador for Nike. He influenced people to buy uh, what became known as Air Jordan sneakers. So all of these individuals I've mentioned are what we would call influencers. Now, an, an influencer is someone who's able to generate interest in something, very often a consumer product, but it could be something different. It could be an idea. It could be a religion uh, or a philosophy. They influence other people to adopt what it is they're doing, wearing, saying, or thinking. Influencers today are many on social media. You may have heard of them there. However, they've been around for a very long time. In fact, I've read that some Roman gladiators 2,000 years ago actually promoted products in Rome. So Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, page 11 in your bulletin, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were highly regarded as influencers in Jesus' day. And, and it's true, you know, we have a very negative view of the Pharisees, um, kind of like, you know, snidely whiplash on, yeah, uh, uh, and they're always up to something evil or bad. But in fact, they were highly regarded by the people, many people in their day. And Jesus often spoke against the Pharisees, and when he did, he was taking somewhat of a risk 
because the Pharisees were respected for their piety and for their devotion to God's word. They were mostly laymen who worked during the day, they supported themselves, and they studied scripture during their off hours. Much to admire in that. When Jesus says they loved places of honor at banquets and the the most important seats in the synagogue and and they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces, that suggests that they were well thought of. So letter A. The problem with them, though, is that they went far beyond God's law. They added many more requirements than Moses did in the Old Testament, and they often neglected mercy. They often neglected mercy. And a good example of this would be um, the apostle Judas Iscariot. Uh, When Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he felt remorse. And, And he went to the chief priest and to the elders, which would have included Pharisees, and he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Now, at that point, that was a critical juncture, the Pharisees could have spoken forgiveness to him to Judas, but they would not. Instead, they said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. See to it yourself. You're on your own regarding your sin. And he went out and hung himself. In Luke 18, there's the story Jesus relates of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee, they're both praying in the temple, right? And the Pharisee Uh, looks up to God and he talks about himself. He says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I do all these good works and I tithe of everything that I have and and, and I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over there. But the tax collector would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He simply beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that one went home justified, righteous before God rather than the other. And so that's rather typical then of the Pharisee, because they worked so hard keeping all of these laws, many of which they invented themselves, they looked down on others who weren't working as hard as they. And letter B, they had come to love the attention their piety had brought them. They loved it. Jesus says in verse 5 of our gospel reading, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries. Those are little black leather boxes containing scripture that they would strap onto themselves when they would pray. They lengthen the tassels of their garments, a fringe, in other words. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or rabbi by men. Now, Rabbi in Hebrew literally means my great one. That's what it means, my great one. Can you imagine going around calling somebody my great one? But that's what the word means in Hebrew. And all of that is bound to lead to pride. So Roman numeral two, if pride is the problem, Christ is the prescription. Christ is the antidote 
to the pride. And so letter A, I, I, I'm talking here about toxic respect. Now, respect's a good thing, but those who receive the respect can't handle it. <laughs> That's the sad truth. So it's toxic respect. We are to obey those whom the Lord has placed over us. Jesus says in verse 2 of our gospel reading, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, do what they tell you. Obey what they say, but don't do what they do. Even they don't do what they say. We are to obey those whom God has set over us. We're to honor them as God's representatives, as God's instruments, and I like the word instruments, because that's all we are in God's sight. We are instruments. A pastor is merely an instrument. A deaconess is merely an instrument. If a doctor performs surgery on you, and the surgery is successful, I hope, you don't thank the instruments. You thank the physician, the surgeon. So point number one, no disciple, whether we're whether we have a call from the congregation or whether we're volunteer. No disciple should be placed on a pedestal. We don't deserve it. St. Paul writes in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us deserves to be on a pedestal. Point number two, such admiration, well-intentioned though it is, Such admiration is spiritually dangerous, even fatal. John, in his gospel in chapter 12, talks about priests in Jerusalem who believed in Jesus, but they would not confess him because they would be put out of the synagogue if they did. Because they love praise from men more than they love praise from God. Now, I appreciate admiration. I appreciate thanks. I, I really do. My ego craves it, but it is spiritually dangerous. I don't do well with it, and no one does. When you thank me for something, you mean well, you're being kind. That's a good thing. Kindness is good. The problem is with those of us who receive the kindness. That's the problem. We don't handle it well. First, we love the approval of men. Next, we begin to live for the approval of men. And finally, we begin to expect the approval of men. It's a downward spiral. That's why when I receive praise for my work, I have to deflect it to God. Because God alone deserves the credit for any help you might receive through me. And secondly, I just don't handle it well. I have to deflect it to God, or it leads to pride. And sometimes it leads to pride anyway. And that means that all of us have something to learn when it comes to speaking. How to speak. So letter B... Speaking like Jesus, and I read verse 8, but do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, 
For one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is, Christ. So, point number one, we have one teacher, not many. We have one Father, not many. We have one leader, not many. Now that's just repeating what our Lord has, has taught us, but what does that look like? What does that sound like in practice? Point number two, just as we learn to place God at the center when we speak of our salvation, so we should place God at the center in all of our conversation. Too many Christians speak carelessly about how they got saved. They say things like, I accepted Christ as my Savior. They, they, they put themselves in the driver's seat of the relationship, in other words. No. Jesus accepted you at the cross long before you demonstrated any acceptance of him. That's why Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. That's why Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Over time, we Christians ought to learn how to speak that way about God's work in salvation. God is the active agent we simply passively receive the benefits in the same way that children passively receive an inheritance. They didn't earn it. They didn't cause the inheritance to happen. And just as we should learn to speak properly about God's work in salvation, so we should learn to speak properly about God's work in our everyday lives. And that's why I quote, I, I cite James chapter 4 in your bulletin, James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For it is a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, now here's, here's how to speak. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's how to talk, you see. If the Lord wills, he's in charge. Not me, not you. And point number three, this is interesting. Paul, St. Paul, never thanks other disciples for anything. He never thanks other disciples. He thanks God instead for other disciples. He'll, say, he'll write things like, I thank my God for you. Or I thank my God that he's done this or that through you that he's doing this through you. Paul speaks that way every day because he knows that, and this is quoting Paul, it is God who is at work both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now that is how Christians speak when we remember we have one teacher, one father, one leader. So point number four, pride divides. Pride divides. Humility builds unity. Humility builds unity. Pride divides one person from another, and it divides people from the Lord. We see that in our gospel reading. The pride of the Pharisees divides them from Jesus. There's a distance there. 
that only God can overcome. The Pharisees can't overcome it. On the other hand, humility unites people. Humility brings people together. Humility builds trust. Because when I humble myself, it signals to others that I'm caring about them at least as much as I care about myself. The problem is that as sinners, we love the approval of men. We covet positions of honor. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen as successful by our peers. We want to be admired by others. Given that, how can we become more humble? How can we come to desire and freely choose the lowest seat among our peers? How can we do that? Well, let her see. Jesus makes humility, and there's a lot of words you could put in here. He makes humility bearable or tolerable. He can even make it attractive. He can even make it desirable. Humility. Christ is the ultimate influencer because he not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. He speaks of humility, and then he goes out and he lives it. He humbles himself, taking the form of a servant, and becomes obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And we who believe that, we also believe that it is better to take the lowest seat with Jesus than to take the highest seat without him. We would rather be with Jesus in a place of humiliation than to be in a place of exaltation without him. Jesus makes that much difference. Jesus is that important. Jesus has made humility bearable, even desirable, because humility is his habitation. Lowliness is where he dwells. Self-abasement is what pleases him. And modesty is what he exalts. As Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That humility ought to be reflected in our everyday conversation. When someone thanks you for a job well done, it's wise to deflect the thanks to the Lord. When someone praises you for your performance, give praise to the Lord instead. Remember, we have one teacher, not many, one father, not many, one leader, not many. That is how Jesus and even James and Paul teach us to speak. No matter what you do, no matter how great an accomplishment, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.